Now we're going to hear right now from um, Kurt Lang, pastor's East Coast International Assembly of God Church. And he came to the summit for the first time last year. And I'm going to let him tell you what, what happened and what, and I want you to understand and listen to this through these ears. If you love Jesus, every skill you develop furthers the gospel. Furthers the gospel. It'll also make you money sometimes, but it'll further the gospel. So I want you to hear Kurt Lang describe uh, what their summit experience was about. My name is Kurt Lang. I'm the lead pastor of East Coast International Church in Lynn, Massachusetts. I'm Joshua. I'm the senior associate pastor at East Coast International Church as well. We uh, went to Global Leadership Summit this past year and were deeply inspired by all of the conference speakers and the event itself. Uh, but we had a really significant takeaway from the event from one of the speakers through a process called the Four Disciplines of Execution. Yeah, it's funny. When I went to Global Leadership Summit, I was hoping for something really practical. Uh, I really like when I can walk away with something that is going to make an immediate change in the way that I'm doing things, giving me systems and structures to help me implement change. And that's exactly what 4DX uh, is all about. It offers you a program that, or a set of principles that allows you to have a goal where you're looking to get, and it gives you step-by-step -step instructions on how to get there. So the big idea here is that you have a wildly important goal that you want to accomplish. And you take these four disciplines, you put it into practice, and then you accomplish your goal. We decided that we had a wildly important goal of growing our church uh, over a course of a one-year period of time. At the time we began to implement the four disciplines of execution this past January, uh, we were running 370 people in our congregation. Uh, just this past week, we had 471 in church. This is a direct result of our uh, four disciplines of execution process. Uh, this has been a huge takeaway. We're grateful to the Global Leadership Summit uh, for helping us uh, in this process. There you have it. We as a church, we've made a decision that we want to be a church of influence. We want to make a difference in our community, but we also want to make a difference in all of New England. I love New England. Do you love New England? I'm a Texas boy, and I still love Texas, but I love New England. And I believe that God, we've yet to even scratch the surface of what God wants to do in this region of the country. Can anybody doubt the power of influence? A man once uh, dreamed that he was in hell. When asked to give an account of what he had seen, he was asked if there were flames and sufferings and all of that and malign creatures and all of that. And he talked about how the place just resounded with blasphemy. He, he, he said, yeah, there was all of that, but there was something far worse. He said, I was compelled to face my influence. He said, I knew I deserved punishment for I had scorned Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. But my sorest pain, he said, was to see what effect that my life had had on others. Most of us, for most of us, our influence in life is coincidental or unintentional. 
Therefore, we don't see it as a skill to sharpen unless maybe our job requires it. But if you're a serious Christ follower, follower, you are mandated to try to make all people within your sphere of influence more and more like Jesus. So, so if being an intentional influencer, which is what I want to talk about today, is a mandate, it's an imperative that we learn how to do it, that we get better at it. I say this, because all leadership is influence, we're all leaders, and good leaders must first become learners. An effective sage must first become a humble student. So today I want to make the case that intentional influence requires that we become intentional influencers. That to, and to make our case, we go to the original mandate left by Jesus Christ, left by our Lord and Savior before he left earth. The last, one of the last things he shared was this mandate that I'm about to read to you. We've ignored it a lot of times, and we have consigned it to professional ministers and clergy and made it a passage that only applies to seminary graduates or a text for ordination. And we have not each picked up this mantle and seen it as our mandate from the Lord to become an influencer at a very, very deep level. Matthew 28 says, let's read it together. When the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, some of the people that you're going to hear at the Global Leadership Summit are people who've had great influence, been influenced, are going to help you to be a better influence. Frederick Haran will help us think in different ways. How many of you know that sometimes solving a problem is just a matter of framing it differently? Thinking in different ways. Andy Stanley says, and this is so important when we're influencing people because we, we underestimate how diligent we have to be and how intentional we have to be in helping other people that we love make positive change. He says one of the greatest challenges of leadership is making vision stick. And I like this, and so true. I don't like it, but I like it because it's true. Vision doesn't have much adhesive. That's why a lot of us lose with our, with our children, because we don't realize how intentional and intensive we have to be to counteract the influence that they receive from social media, school, friends, every place else. Cheryl Sandberg will be one of our speakers, and it was her assistant who actually influenced her and instructed her to, quote, lean in to accepting her leadership status the CEO, she's the CEO of Facebook. And of course, she wrote the book now, Lean In, and it's become a part of everybody's vocabulary now to use the words, Lean In. Gary Hagan is going to be one of my favorite speakers, and he is a, a part of, is it International Justice Ministry? Is that the name of his ministry? International Justice Ministry. He saw the mass graves in Rwanda, and he was struck by the truth that these Rwandans who had perished in these mass graves didn't need 
a sermon. They didn't need food. They didn't need clothes. They didn't need a microloan. They needed somebody to restrain the hand with a machete. Nothing else would do. And so Gary Hagan is using his influence as an attorney to go around the world getting justice for people. I know as serious Christ followers, we want to lead people to Jesus. That should be our greatest desire. But if they're real hungry and they're real naked and they're getting their head chopped off of machetes, you're not going to lead them to Jesus. So sometimes you have to do that first. Laszlo Bach of Google will be speaking. And his influence has been so great that all of his direct reports have gone on to be HR directors at other leading brands. Brian Stevenson, he will be speaking. He's dedicated to helping the poor, the incarcerated, and the condemned through his initiatives. We want to learn at their feet. Now let's go back to Jesus, the text that we read this morning about Jesus' mandate to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. I think if you will stop, especially those of you who've been around the church and you're familiar with these scriptures, I know some of you are not familiar, that's fine, but if you've been around the church for many years, you're very familiar with this passage and you know that we call it the Great Commission. We call this the Great Commission. We have two things that guide the philosophy of our lives. The Great Commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbors yourself. And we have the great commission, which is this, to make disciples of all the nations, to baptize them, bring them into identification with the Father who loves them and the Holy Spirit who loves them, and then to teach them how to live the lifestyle of Jesus and enjoy the fruit of eternal life now. But the great commission in much of the church world has become the great omission. And it's not just because we don't do enough, quote, evangelism. No, that's not the problem. It's sometimes the problem, yes. But Christians who call this passage the Great Commission, unfortunately, here's what we've done. We have limited the Great Commission to the sharing. Listen carefully. Don't react to me, please. Don't be negative. Don't don't judge me too quick. But we have limited the Great Commission to the sharing of an introduction to the gospel. This introduction to the gospel, best summarized, that I'm talking about right now, is best summarized by a guy named Bill Bright, who created what we call four spiritual laws. Here's the four spiritual laws. They're great, by the way, and you need to know them. If you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, I would really encourage you to listen to this four spiritual laws. So when I talk to you, I say, come on, accept the four spiritual laws and live live them. But when I talk to the person sitting next to you who's already down the path being a Christian and and, and has, has, has received the personal salvation that God has given them, I want to say to them, there's more beyond the four spiritual laws. But let's go over them for those of you who aren't familiar with them. Used to, we have little booklets we gave everybody on these. It's... The first spiritual law is God loves you and created you to know him personally. The second one is man is sinful and separated from him, God separated from God, so we cannot know him personally or experience his love. 
Number three, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him alone, we can know God personally and experience God's love. Number four, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Then we can know God personally and experience his love. Great stuff. The problem with interpreting the Great Commission as only the introduction of the gospel, which is immeasurably important, by the way, is that it doesn't go far enough and how deeply and profoundly we are to influence other people's lives. The Bible, the gospel, the word of God has good instructions for our parenting, our marriages, how we handle our finances, how we treat our neighbor, how we handle social justice, how we relate to the poor, how we relate to our competition, how we relate to people who offend us and who hurt us, how we relate to people who disagree with us, how we handle relationships, how we handle conflict. The gospel, God has given us us this huge master plan for every aspect of our lives. And I believe the enemy, if he can't get us to become totally gospel-saturated in all of our lives, he tries to confine us to this narrow, narrow, narrow application of Jesus, which says, just pray this little prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. You know, that's like a football coach. That's like a football coach gathering his team in the locker room before the game and saying, guys, we're not going to play the game today. I'll see you in 60 minutes, and we'll celebrate. That, that would be a, a, you know what you would call that, coach? A loser. Because God, that, what, what, what they want to do is they want to play the game. I believe that as a believer, I've received eternal life now. I've received Jesus now. I don't want to just meet him in the sweet by and by. Yeah, I want to do that. Absolutely. I don't want to just meet him in the sweet by and by. I want to, to the, the Bible says this, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. The Bible also says in him we live and move and have our being. So this wonderful gospel has something to offer about our friendships, our emotional health, our moods, ups and down moods. Why would anyone want to not play the game? Why would anyone want to just show up to the stadium and then stay in the locker room for an hour while the, uh, you know, they used to tell terrible jokes about Texas A&M University back in Texas when I grew up there. The Texas, you know, the same thing they told about Polish people, the same jokes, Polak jokes, Aggie jokes. They were interchangeable. And, and they used to tell a joke about the, the Aggie football team. They were losing every game, and they tried to think of a way to win the game. And finally, they came up with a scheme. They would go out there, and they would fire the gun. In those days, they would fire a gun when the game was over. And they would fire the gun, like uh, in the third quarter, they would fire the gun. So the other team would think, the, the game was over, and they fired the gun. Sure enough, the other team ran off the field thinking the game was over. And like 20 minutes later, the Aggies scored enough runs to, scored enough to win. You know, in other words, the joke is that they couldn't even, 
they could barely win even when nobody was defending. So that, that's, a, that's a really a dumb joke. I don't know why I told it. <laughs> the problem with interpreting the Great Commission as only the introduction to the gospel is that it doesn't go far enough in how deeply and profoundly we're to impact other people's lives. I'm also concerned with how our obligation or our approach wrongly limits our obligation to the world around us when we only feel we have to introduce them to Jesus. I don't have to help you with your life. I just got to tell you, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Bye. I also, thirdly, we've tragically attached, and this is really important in our politically correct culture, we've tragically attach the label of judgmentalism and authoritarianism to any message beyond would you like to receive Jesus as your personal Savior? Fourthly, in our obsession with simplicity, we've mistakenly thought great influencing is easy, and it's not. We, we, you know, we thought we merely need to learn a spiel that can be digested in a 45-minute evangelism class and we can feel that we're going to change the world. No, this is intense, hard work, life-on-life, life, intense daily involvement with other people because God has loved you so much and now you love them. What's it about? And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you that's what it's about. Have we missed the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's, a, it's about a good news lifestyle, everything I've commanded you, that everything from having meals together with gladness to moral boundaries of protecting the dignity of girls and women to providing material provision to victims of catastrophe is all fruit of the gospel. It's all fruit of a gospel-saturated life. The, the pray this prayer so you can go to heaven when you die is not enough. Not only is it not enough because it's not enough, it's not enough because you, need, you want to enjoy more than that. You want to have the fruit of more than that. Now, we often do this omission of intentional influence from the Great Commission with the high and holy motive of making sure no one thinks they can earn eternal life on their own. That's why we do it. We don't want anyone to think that, that, they, uh, that, that, that they hold God in, our, in their debt because of their moral goodness. We don't want anyone to think because they can be so morally good that God now owes them salvation. And that's great. We need to remember that. But what we're missing is the gospel gives us the advantage of starting this eternal life now. And we're the most helpful to our fellow humans when we are obeying everything Jesus has commanded. Not that we're all ever going to do it completely, but we're going to keep striving toward it, toward it, just like every team strives to win every game. We're going we're gonna to strive to obey everything Jesus commanded. And the gospel-saturated life is the most satisfying life there is. I said the gospel-saturated life is the most satisfying life that you can possibly live. This afternoon, we're going to, we're going to celebrate the life of Richard Bodestell. And we're going to uh, talk about the meaning of his life and the meaning of the gospel. Do you realize how much the gospel has to do with this service we're going to have this afternoon? Because Richard came into our presence four years ago. And because we believe the gospel, 
That was a mutual acceptance. He became a part of us. He became a part of our family here. We became a part of his life. That's what the gospel teaches. See, you go to any other segment of society and relationship and connection is based on something else. It's based, usually based on like interest. All the people who like to hunt or all the people who like to fish or all the people who like to play golf or all the people that like sports or, or, or all the people that like uh, crafts or all the people that like to do, uh, uh, what do they call it? The putting pictures in books. What do they call it? What? Scrapbooking. I was trying. All the people that like scrapbooking, you know, they, they, we get together. I remember being in a restaurant one day and there were a bunch of ladies in there were, that we were, it was easy to tell. They were so loud. We couldn't even think talking about rhododendrons. They were a part of a rhododendron club. But the church is supposed to be a place where you come and we are connected because of Jesus. Because we know God created you and we don't care what you've done or where you've been or how good you are or how bad you are. We do not care from the standpoint of loving you and connecting with you. You are, you are loved the minute you walk in the door. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to like what I like. You don't have to enjoy what I enjoy. You don't have to like sports. You don't have to like golf. You don't have to like scrapbooking. And thank God you don't have to like scrapbooking. That just sounds like, that sounds like torture. <laughs> but I can love you and you can love me. Because that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's stop having the great omission from the great commission. And let's live gospel-saturated lives. The omission of intentional influence is having negative consequences in our world today. Genesis 4, 9 and 10 says, The Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Imagine talking to God like that. The Lord said, what have you done? When you don't feel responsible to your brothers in the world, the question is always, what have you done? Because you have not done something good. Because if you don't care about other people's well-being, I'm going to just tell you, you're a bad person. You're not a good person. If you don't care about how other people feel. And you don't care that they have the best life possible. You're, you're not somebody that I really respect. The gospel is built on a profound interest in what other people are having to endure or suffer. Jesus came to earth, left heaven to come to earth because he was so interested in how we felt. What are the tragic consequences of the I am, am I my brother's keeper attitude? Well, as a culture, we're badly behaved and we're lacking in civility. Does he, will any, do I even need to expand on that? If, if you doubt me, just... Get on Twitter and follow a bunch of people like I do. Social circles are not safe places because everyone acts in isolation. 
you think I'm getting into a group of people that I'm going to be loved here. It's going to be awesome. But you find out everybody's acting in isolation. You find out everybody's in that group for their own interest. Even the church is not as safe a place as it should be. We got to get better. Most of us are not as successful as we could be without living in organizations of an intentional influence. No one in history of human competition. This is a quote that I wish somebody else would have said it, because if somebody else had said it, you would think it's profound. Because I said it, yeah, that's nice. That's okay. I'm going to say it anyway. No one in the history of human competition has been champion-level good without mentoring, coaching, training, and influence. Tom Brady wouldn't be Tom Brady if he didn't have a quarterback coach. The greatest golfers in the world have more coaches and therapists and people, handlers, than you can shake a stick at. Because people who have natural talent know that it's not enough. You've got to go get an influencer in your life. You've got to get somebody who will actually tell you what you're doing wrong. Imagine that. Imagine that. You're some hot shot kid who can go out on the golf course and shoot par, and you decide you're going to go pro. You know you've got all kinds of natural talent, but you know that championship level requires you get somebody who can tell you where you're not as good as you think you are. You've got to have somebody to tell you that your swing is off. You've got to have somebody to tell you that you don't do this very well, you don't do that very well, you're not training properly. You've got to have somebody who will, will be honest with you or you will not be a champion. Some of you have heard the story of you follow sports like I often do. You heard the story of uh, Chad Ochocinco, the wide receiver from the Cincinnati Bengals who came to the New England Patriots in the first meeting he was in. First meeting, first thing that happens. Bill Belichick gets just, just, just chews up Tom Brady in front of the whole team about bad plays that he had made. Now, Maybe that was uh, planned. I don't know. Maybe just to let everybody know. If he's, if he's not exempt, nobody else is exempt. Maybe that's what's it. I don't know. But even if it was planned, it shows you a principle. It shows you a principle that we all need somebody at peer level with us who can say, you're not as good as you could be. I, Hugh Corey was a, a mentor of mine. And if you went into Hugh's office and you had messed up or made a mistake, he was a very gentle, loving man. He would take his own head. He would hold his head. And he would go, oh, Phil, you're a better man than that. <laughs> I need somebody in my life who will say, you're a better man than that sometimes. So we've confused intentional influence with nosiness, meddlesomeness, intrusiveness, the protocol of intentional influence is acknowledgement of need, clarity of goal, invitation, and permission. That's why you need to give people permission to do this. Jesus said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. That's the protocol. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He, did, he didn't pull a fast one on them. And say, follow me, I will make you rich. And then when, they, then when they got in his presence, he tried to do something else. So if you're going to mentor somebody and, and help somebody, be, be honest about what you're going to do. Be honest. 
about what your goals are. Be upfront. Be upfront. See, when Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, he was by implication saying, you're not very good at it right now. Follow me, I'll make you good at it. Follow me. Here's, here, here's to be how, how we should relate to one another. Follow me, I'll make you a better parent. Follow me, I'll make you a better money manager. Follow me, I'll make you a better spouse. I'll make you a better employee. I'll make you a better public speaker. I'll make you a better leader. I'll make you a better steward of your body. I'll make you a person who's better at relationships. The gospel, let me say it loud and clear, the gospel is all-encompassing. It impacts every single area of our life. We're living also in the defiance of the wisdom of Scripture. I have so many verses. I'm not even going to give you all these verses. Why don't you throw them up on the screen? I won't read all of them. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says, You're the, we're the salt of the earth, light of the world. Okay? How's that for influence? 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 27, 17, As iron sharpens iron, so one man's countenance sharpens another. A friend sharpens a friend. Proverbs 13, 20, Who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I could give you a hundred more verses that say that in the Bible. See, if we're not careful, we're putting the entire burden of people's improvement on positional leaders when none of these passages, including Matthew 28, even uses the word leader. Not once does Matthew 28 use the word leader. And we put all the burden of making people better on the teacher in front of the class, the youth leader who's leading the youth group, or the pastor who's leading the church, or the government who's governor who's leading the state. We put the burden on them to make everybody better. And what if everybody picked up the burden? What if everybody in this room picked up the burden to make everybody better? What we could transform, the transformation would begin in this church and like a stone in the pond, it would ripple out to the neighborhoods and the communities and the state and then the nation. All these passages are about having power over other people, but you don't see the words leader, boss, in charge, president, CEO, pastor, elder, captain, controller, governor, luminary, ringleader, superior, skipper, or superintendent. None of those words. He said to every Christian, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Mike Bonham in his book, Leading from the Second Chair, said serving your church, it's about serving your church, the book is, and fulfilling your role and realizing your dreams. He said, these relationships are driven by much more than charisma or good first impressions. They are based on integrity and delivering on your promises. They are based on genuine care for others. For some second chair building relationships, it's easy and natural. For others, it's hard work, but for all, it's essential. I hope you heard that. Finally, I want to close with this thought. The subtle but clear message of Matthew 28 is that we influence best when we are taught how to do it intentionally. Joseph Grinney says, a, 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 a frequent GLS speaker, one of my favorites, he said, we need to know a strategy and method for influencing profound and rapid change in, the, in our organizations. Now, why do I say we influence best when we're taught how to do intentionally? First of all, good people are going to have some positive influence just because they're good, they're kind, they're caring. 
You're going to have some influence, even if you don't really try. You're just a good person. That's good. But Jesus didn't merely rely on picking good people to make sure they put their faith in him, that they depended on him to influence, influence people. He, Jesus didn't depend on influence accidents. He didn't just pick good people. I'll pick good people and, and they'll follow me and the whole rest of the world will want to follow just because I have these good people. They'll go, they'll go to work and, and they'll go, what, why are you such a good worker? And you'd say, well, I'm a Christian. That's why, okay, I want to be a Christian. Jesus didn't rely on people just going out and being good people. He said, I want you to preach. I want you to proclaim. I want you to disciple. I want you to influence. I want you to teach people to obey everything I've commanded. I want you to try to be an influencer. I want you to become intentional. The other thing about Jesus his three, Jesus took these people that he said this to, and he had already mentored them for three years. He taught them for three years. He took a commercial fisherman, IRS agents, doctors, and a lawyer, and he taught them how to be intentional influencers, all the way down to such details as how to handle rejections. Read the gospel. He taught them how to handle rejection, how to be a polite guest in somebody's home, what to do when trying to be an influencer, you get thrown in jail. He taught them all these practical lessons about life. So we need to stop omitting intentional influence from the Great Commission. You need to get a degree from the Jesus Christ University of Internet Intentional Influence today. Amen? According to Ephesians 4, the information of Jesus University of International Influence, an intentional influence, I meant to say, has been distributed to specific people called pastors, teachers, prophets, and evangelists. So you and I are supposed to sit at their feet, not for our own sake, but for the sake of those whose lives we're going to make a difference in. So we're going to seek learning opportunities on Sunday morning, on community group, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night, the Global Leadership Summit. We're going to read great books if we can. If we're not a reader, we're going to listen to great books. We're going to get information I wish I had time to really tell you the great story of a little servant girl back in Syria a long, long time ago whose boss was named Naaman. And the little servant girl knew about a prophet in Israel. Now, she had been taken from Israel as a slave, so she had every reason to be hurt and wounded and not care about anybody but herself, especially toward the guy who had bought her in, out of, in, in slavery and made her a slave. And she found out he had leprosy. She also had every reason to keep her mouth shut because she was a nobody. And she wasn't a leader or a pastor or a CEO or a general. She was a nobody's slave. She was considered in that culture a piece of property. They could kill her and nobody would care. And nobody would be prosecuted. But when her boss got leprosy, she said, I know a prophet who will heal you if you will go. And Naaman went to Israel, humbled himself before prophet Elijah, dipped in the Jordan River. It's a long, wonderful story and was healed because a little girl said, I have the power of influence. And right now, influence for you. And let me say this. Listen, this is the last thing I'm going to say today. 
influence for you is life, death, success, or failure for somebody in your life right now. Our prayer partners are going to come today, and I hope some of you will come up and be prayed for for the person that you want to influence. And you want God to help you be a difference in their life. You can make a difference. How many of you in this room, somebody has made a difference in your life? Raise your hand. Somebody has made a difference in your life. Look around. Look around. Now I want you to dedicate yourself to become a difference maker in somebody else's life today. Now you may want to be prayed for for something else. We want to pray for the moral family today. Maybe you have sickness in your body, problems in a relationship. These guys will pray for you. We're not going to have communion today because we want you to do a different kind of communion. If at all possible, we want communion means connecting, right? It means connecting. So we want you to connect with the body of Christ and connect with truth by going out to Connection Central in the gym across from Main Sandy's and we want you to sign up for the Global Leadership Summit. It's only $89 for the next three days and then it goes up to, I don't know what, 139 or something like that. But today, if you have somebody in your mind and I hope everybody does, I want you to come up here and say, pray for me that God will show me how to be an influence and equip me to be an influence in somebody right now that I believe I have their ear. I believe that they would would let me be an influence in their life. It may take days, weeks, months, or years, but you're going to start down the path. God bless you. Father, in Jesus' name, bring us to the place in our life where we understand the power of our words, the power of our life, and the power of our influence. In Jesus' name. Let's come. Let's enter into response time. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.